You know, I just want to, maybe before we actually get into the word, if you're a child of God here, just, you know, we, we need to get ourselves in that position of what that song just sang, of, of a grace, just a gratefulness to God. If we're not for his grace, you would not be here today. If we're not for his grace, your hope, your eternity, your forgiveness, none of those things would be here. And if you're here today, and maybe you think, man, I'm, I'm not sure whether I'm a Christian. You're here because God, God has you here for a reason. Maybe to learn about this grace. And I'm just going to give us maybe, you know, a minute or so just to quietly pray. And then I'm going to pray before we get into God's word. But just let's prepare our hearts. Um, you know, this, this sermon getting into your heart, it's not dependent on how well I prepared it this week. It's dependent upon how prepared you are to hear and receive the word. So let's take some time, if you would just quietly pray. Father, I don't think those could be any truer words that were it not for grace. I mean, Lord, we have been looking in your word at different people that you shared your love with, you shared forgiveness of sin with. We're trying to learn from that, but God, I realize that any child of God here, our story could be here as well in your word. Because we come with the same need. We came to you with the same uh, hopelessness, Father, and emptiness of to be able to do things on my own. And that simple cry of our heart, Father, when we look to you and ask for forgiveness for, for you to pay our debt, Father, you did. And God, I just thank you for that. And just we, we, we want to be challenged to share that with those people around us. And so as we're in your word today, help, help Father, that spirit within us to just resonate with this truth so that this week might be a week, Lord, where we are your hands and feet that we plant and we water, you know, and we till the ground, Father, in people's lives. And Father, I do pray if there's any here that do not know you as their Savior, by the time we get to the end of the message, Lord, we're going to give that opportunity for, to respond to the gospel. Lord, just give them those open hearts. Work as only you can, Father, and draw them to yourself. Thank you. In thy son's name we pray. Amen. Well, last week, um, we looked at Christ's interaction with a very religious man. You remember what his name was? You know, Nicodemus. He was a Pharisee. And Christ broke through all of his religiosity and he came right to the point when he was talking to Nicodemus. He didn't say, well, boy, you, you've really got a lot of relig good religious acts and, you know, you've got a good morality. You just need to add this to all of those things and you will be saved. No, Jesus looks at him and states very definitively, you must be born again. 
You must be reborn. We're not talking about straightening out the life you have. We're talking about a new life that only Jesus Christ could give. And salvation and a personal relationship with God can only come through a spiritual rebirth, through our sins being atoned for, External spiritual appearances, they are meaningless to lead a person, to, to ultimately get a person to heaven. They lead to death and destruction. Friends, God is not interested in people being favorably disposed towards him or living the external formalities of life. He's not interested in filling up a church with unsaved souls. He's not interested in the vain and empty prayers of the unrepentant heart. God is building a kingdom. God is building a future, an eternity. And there's only one way for you and I to be part of that. We must be born again. And that's the message we've been looking at for the last three weeks. And today we're going to look at that same message, but we're going to be coming at it from a totally different angle as we move to John chapter 4. Now, if you have your Bibles there, turn to John chapter 4. We're going to be talking about the Samaritan woman. Um, As you turn there, let me remind you of the very purpose of God's leading John into writing these words. There's a purpose for this book. You know, the Gospels kind of give us, you know, the, the history of, of the life of Christ. And John does that, but with a very spe- distinct purpose. He said in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, he says, Therefore many other signs Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life through his name. And so as you read the whole book of John and what we're going to be looking at in John chapter 4 today, we need to remember that this whole book is a polemic argument of Christ's deity and that he alone is the way to salvation, that there is no other name given amongst heaven whereby he must be saved, that forgiveness being a child of God only comes through Jesus Christ. And so as we read this encounter of, of the Samaritan woman, you got to keep that in mind, that, you know, God has this encounter for two reasons, to prove his deity, that he is Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in him is the way to eternal life. So with that in mind, I ask you to take your Bibles, if you will stand together with me, and we're going to read pretty much the whole account down to verse 26. It says, therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, 
asked me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman. For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then will you get this living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain, and you people say in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such the people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When the one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You may be seated. Well, let's, let's begin this morning by kind of getting the setting because there's a lot that kind of sets the dynamics of this whole in, uh, encounter. We're going to go ahead and we're going to start by uh, putting a map up there for you. Um, Christ, as the very beginning of the scripture says, Christ is down in Judea. That's where Jerusalem is. He spent about 20% of his ministry down in Jerusalem. He is heading back to Galilee now um, uh, where he spent 80% of his ministry Um, and he must pass through Samaria. Samaria is that region, actually it doesn't quite go all the way over to the Mediterranean, but it's a region that kind of shoots out in between uh, Judea and Galilee. And he's cutting kind of straight through. He comes to uh, a town called Sychar. Now, this area of of Samaria, we know that it is formed, it is kind of an intermixed Jewish people. In 722 uh, B.C., when the ten northern tribes, because of their apostasy, God handed them over to their enemies. When their enemies came and, and destroyed them, the Jewish people began, the, the ten northern tribes began to intermarry with the Gentiles. And the result of these years of intermarrying was a race called the Samaritans. Okay? They were part Jew, part Gentile. They were half-breeds. And they were despised by the Jewish people. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, the, uh, you know, a lot of racism that was going here. 
But one of the reasons that they were despised is because the Samaritans set up their own religious system, a system where they took part of Judaism and kind of melded it with idolatry and paganism. And and so there was a a, a real self-righteous type of a system that the Samaritans had. Now, if you were a really, really good Jew, you wouldn't even walk through Samaria to get to Galilee. Like I said, it, it actually doesn't go all the way to Mediterranean. You would go way out of your way, some 40 miles, just to not step on, on Samaritan soil. But the average Jew had, you know, they, I wouldn't say they didn't have any problem going through Samaria. They kind of hold their nose as they went through it, you know, to, to get back into Jewish territory. Well, let's consider this woman the Samaritan woman that he meets. Uh, if you jump around just a little bit in the text, you get a pretty good idea. Uh, you get a pretty good picture of who she was and how she was living. Uh, we're told that she was married five times. Uh, she's presently living with a man that she's not married to. We're not told why or how she got into that present state. But I think it is very safe to say that this isn't something that just happened overnight. You know, the five husbands and, you know, who she was living with. There's a history here of bad choices, very public sin that is taking place. To say that this woman was an outcast amongst her own people who are already an outcast, I think that would be an understatement. I mean, you can just look at a few signs there. Uh, Women usually gather water in groups for safety reasons. This woman is alone. Women usually collected water at dusk, you know, just before nighttime because of the heat. You don't come out in the heat of the day. This woman is out there all by herself right about, you know, noon. She's there because I'm guessing she doesn't want to run into any people, anybody who knows her. Some commentaries have suggested that there were wells that were closer to the city of Sychar, but Jacob's well is a little bit farther out there, but that she you know, didn't want to go to the closer ones, didn't want to run into anybody from the town. So to avoid people, she went to a well that was, was far away. This woman lived in shame. She lived as an outcast. Day to day, I imagine her life was filled with judgmental looks, and I, and I also can imagine that she probably has felt that she has dug a hole so deep that there was no way for her to get out of it. So she just embraced this is who she was. This wasn't something that she'd done, but this is who she was. Matter of fact, her own surprise that Jesus would even talk to her, a Samaritan, a woman, tells me that her self-worth, her self-esteem is, is not very high here. Now, I want to stop for just a moment here. I'm sure that each and every one of us here knows people who have similar circumstances to this Samaritan woman, similar sin. I, I just want to ask you honestly here, what is your first reaction when you meet someone that has had a rough past? And maybe they're still living in that past is is actually their present. Do you find yourself noticing the differences or noticing their need? Do you tend towards a judgmentalism when you see someone? 
You know, in this circumstance, can you see past what a person is doing and see their emptiness, see their pain, see their shame, that they're living the void that they're living in their lives? Can you see that? Or only, are we only drawn to the, what it looks like on the outside? You know, last night, or excuse me, last Sunday night in the Bible study, we brought up the need and how tricky it is to, in this need to show acceptance of a person without endorsing maybe something that they're doing or a lifestyle that they're involved in. Here's a good example of it. Jesus did this. You know, Jesus showed acceptance of this woman as a person. We're going to see that in just a moment here without condoning, you know, what she has done and the life that she was living. I find it interesting here that this is very early on in Christ's ministry. And I wonder if he knew that his disciples could not yet handle coming into contact with a person like this. If that person would feel more judged than, you know, compassion. I mean, a little indication you get there, we didn't go to it, but in verse 27, you know, it says when the disciples returned, so at this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, why do you speak or why do you speak with her? I mean, you know, they, they didn't even know the circumstance of, of this woman, but it was enough that she was a Samaritan, that she was a woman. Why, why are you interacting with her, Christ? And so I wonder if it wasn't just chance that he spoke to her alone, or perhaps Christ orchestrated his disciples being gone because they hadn't yet reached the, the, the point where their hearts break over, over people living in sin. So he orchestrates, I believe, this whole thing. He is there by himself so he can talk to this woman. Now let's switch gears a little bit and talk about their interaction and their coming together here. There's, there's four things I want to emphasize. The first thing I want to I, I notice is that Christ asked her to do him a favor. I want you to write that down. That's important. Christ asked her to do him a favor. In verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria to dry water, draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now we talk often about how we as Christians can use serving one another or serving you know, the unsaved as a way to open up doors to get to talk to them, to share Jesus Christ, to kind of you know, get a connection here. Well, here Jesus Christ does the exact opposite. He doesn't serve her but he opens up a door by asking her to do something for him. Now, this, the basic question that he was asking you know, her to do and draw water, this was part of a social norm here. Uh, you know, again, you know, they had you know, male-female roles, and, and, and one of the things that the, the women would do would be gathering the water, so it wasn't unusual to ask a woman to draw the water but I imagine it was out of the ordinary for this woman to be asked any favor by anyone. She's an outcast. You know, she is shunned by her peers. I wonder when the last time somebody went and put themselves indebted to her 
by asking her to do something for them. In this one act, I think, Christ took down a wall by simply treating her normal. When was the last time people didn't look at her sideways or, you know, skirt across the street when she was coming? You know, so, so we need to take these things. As we're talking, you know, as we're talking about creating our God space, I just want you to add this. This understanding of how to open doors in relationships. That sometimes God does it through us serving and doing something through someone like a faith in action or reaching out to a neighbor or something, you know, for a co-worker. God uses that, but also here's an opportunity God uses to open up doors by asking people to do something for us. Seeking help builds connection. Now, through this whole creating God space um, series that we've been doing, um, you know, one of the things that, that I'm trying to do personally is make myself more aware of the people I come in contact with and the opportunities that I have. And, and so, you know, as I'm studying and as I'm preparing the Bible study, I'm, I'm looking for opportunities as well. And it was just kind of neat on, on this whole point as, as I was, you know, planning on coming here because just the very beginning of this week, on Monday, I got called from somebody who we had a mutual friend. And this friend told him that, you know, I, I gather a lot of firewood. And, and I always need firewoods. And, well, this friend works down at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. And I guess, I, I'm not sure his direct connection, but somehow they are connect, uh, cutting down a bunch of trees down at Wright-Patterson. They're taking them off base, and they're just putting them in a lot. And anybody can come and drive up and just pick up as much wood as you want. And this guy contacts me about this. And, you know, so, well, of course, I'm not the greatest with directions. And uh, I get lost going down there. I'm having to call him, and he's sending me pictures of where it is. Finally, I get there, same thing. There's two spots. The next day, I go through the same thing. He's going over and above to help me out. And so we get all done with it. Um, Monday and Tuesday, I collected firewood in the afternoons. And, and so I, I, I reached out to him. I texted him on Wednesday, indebting myself to him. I said, I want to thank you for you know, all the help you give. You didn't have to do that. He knew I was a pastor. And so I thought, you know, why not? I said, you know, if you ever want to talk, if you ever have some need to talk about anything spiritual or anything else in your life, I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to have you come up to church. The response I got back from him and just, you know, that, that door that really he opened up that door, but just that opportunity to turn that to him. And, you know, I thought after I, you know, sent that out to him, okay, probably that's the last I'm going to hear from him. You know, I've, I've invited him to come to church and everything. But nope, next day he texts me, hey, we have more wood, you know, if, if you, if you want to come on out. And, and, and that's just kind of the idea that God wants to use to, to build connections. I'm not sure what God's going to do with this. I'm going to try to keep in contact uh, with, with him. His name is Nathan. But, but these are just opportunities, connections that we're looking for. So, so the first thing is that Christ asked her to do him a favor. The second thing I want to emphasize is Christ turned the conversation to the spiritual. Okay, down in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and we, we, he would have given you living water. 
Christ is the one who, who turned the conversation to spiritual things. And I guess I want to emphasize that because last week we looked at Nicodemus. And quite honestly, few and far betweens are going to be the situations where people come to you or call you on the phone or, or come to your house and say, what must I do to be saved? That has happened before. But usually we're the ones that need to turn the conversation to Christ. Even if the person is, is, is longing and searching for something, they may not know yet. And so it's up to us to turn the conversation to Christ. Now I say this because while we are listening, while we are caring for the person, while we are looking for opportunities to connect with people in our God space, we often fall short in not ultimately sharing Christ. The point isn't to listen. The point isn't to serve and do something good for them. That's not the point. The point is for an opportunity to tell them about Christ's love for them and the forgiveness of sin they can have. You know, if we don't do that, if we ultimately stop short, you know, we've used the illustration before, like the fishermen, you know, coming in from a day out on the sea and getting on the dock and and proclaiming, I influenced a lot of fish today, you know. You know, that's not the point. The point is for people to come to know Christ. You know, good deeds are not enough to bring a person to Christ. At some point, we need to be able to share the gospel with them and tell them about Christ. Last Sunday evening, there was a verse uh, that was brought up in the Bible study in Isaiah 28. And and quite honestly, I've read Isaiah probably, you know, 20 times, and it never stood out to me. But in this context, it did. It says this, Isaiah 28, verse 24. It says, does the farmer plow continually to plant seed? Does he continually turn and harrow the ground? Does he not level its surface and sow dill and scatter cumin and plant wheat in rows, barley in its place and rye within its area? For his God instructs and teaches him properly. I mean, in other words, what's he saying here? What farmer all spring, all summer, keeps plowing, keeps tilling, then he plows again, he tills again, keeps plowing and tillings, and he never takes the initiative to plant the seed that ultimately could produce fruit and to come to a harvest. Now, I've shared this before, but about 35 years ago, when I first went into the ministry to, to offset you know, my income or to add to the income, I, I worked as a farmer's assistant. And I loved it. I loved being outdoors. I loved in the spring when he had me out there, you know, driving the tractor and plowing the fields and, you know, driving the tiller. But then one day, he asked me to come and plant and to take the planter out there. And I was terrified. I mean, this farmer, he was a small farmer. He had all older equipment. And every time when you got to the end of the row, you had to reach down and pull up a certain pull a certain level and pull a rope, then get turned around, you had to release it in order. And if you didn't do that, and even if you did sometimes, the seed got stuck and it wouldn't plant. And you'd go down and uh, you wouldn't even know that you weren't planting anything. And so I I was petrified. I mean, if you forget, you messed up. No one would know until maybe a month later, you know, big bare rows, you know, in the field, those sorts of things. Well, I, I think sometimes we have that fear. You know, we're, we're really good at, at, you know, sometimes serving and listening and, and showing that we care and doing the good works for Christ, being the hands and feet of Christ.
But if we don't get to the point to ultimately plant the seed, and some, sometimes we're just terrified to do that. Terrified to do that. How do, how do we know the right time to plant the gospel seed? I mean, if you do it too early, you know, people just feel like you're, 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 you're a project and you're forcing it down. If you do it too late, I mean, you've missed that opportunity. How do you do it? Well, it said here in Isaiah 28, verse 26, it says, For God instructs and teaches him properly. It's about listening to God. It's about seeking God. God can take your willingness and nudge you at the right time to say, now's the time to talk. The ground is ready. It's ready to receive the seed. But if we don't, if we don't have an openness to share the gospel, you know, God's nudging us. It's just going to fall on deaf ears. I think that's why 1 Peter 3.15, remember? It says, but says, sanctify Christ in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, with, yet with gentleness and reverence. We're supposed to be ready to talk about our faith. Talk about our, the hope that is within us. Service, prayer, readiness, they all go hand in hand to being able to share the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me. The third point I want to give us to, and I want to go back to verse 10. There's two words that Christ said in verse 2 that I want to highlight. It says, Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The two words are the words ask and the words give. The words ask, and the words give. Every other religion in the world says, do this and God will accept you. Be part of this church or be part of that ceremony. You know, have this level of morality or, or make that sacrifice and, and God will accept you. Christianity says, no, you need to ask. You need to ask. That's all a sinner can do is to ask. In Luke chapter 18, there was a sinner that stood before God in the temple, and he said he smote himself, and he said, be merciful on me, a sinner. He asked God's forgiveness. He asked God's mercy. And that's all we can do. That's all God wants us to do. Salvation involves one thing on our part before God, and that is to ask. Not to just agree with God. Not to just change the pattern of our living. But to ask. To be forgiven. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 and 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And then who knocks it will be opened. God never rejects a step towards him. He never rejects a heart that reaches out to him. We have to ask. We have to ask. And Christ made a point that we need to ask. And I prayed earlier in the service if there was anybody here who, who might not be a Christian. Maybe you're here searching or maybe you've been you know, involved in church for a long time, but you, you're not sure you're a Christian. By the time we get to the end of the service, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if you're ready to ask. It doesn't matter that you're here as far as your salvation goes. You know, if you're a Christian, it matters in, you know, strengthening you and encouraging you and, 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 and building a unity and a oneness and a kingdom. It's all part of that, but, but until you ask, 
you know, uh, you know, this is all about planting. This is all about, you know, tilling the soil in your life. So you will ask. One final point. And again, just so you know, this, it, there's more than four points in there. This, there's a lot in this. But just for our focus on sharing the gospel, I want you to look at verse 15. Um, verse, we'll, we'll back it up to verse 13. He says, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. <coughs> but the water <coughs> I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty nor come this way here to draw. The fourth point I want to emphasize here is whenever we're talking to someone, we get to that place of turning the conversation to spiritual things and being a child of God, we need to talk about sin. We need to deal with sin in a person's life. And when I read those verses in this whole encounter, it might seem that Christ had led this woman right where he needed her to be. I mean, he uses this great illustration about water and living water and never thirsting again in this water flowing up into her into eternal life. And, and this woman gets to the point and says, I want that water. And wouldn't it have been the perfect time for, for Christ to stop and say, I'm that living water. Put your faith, put your trust in me. Believe in me. And you'll be, you'll be saved. You'll have this living water. I mean, it was seen this is the perfect time to do that. She wants this living water. She doesn't totally understand all about it. But it certainly seems like a perfect opportunity to turn the conversation to pray and receive him. The problem with it, though, is it would have been a false conversion. This woman would have gone away in that crowd that says at the end, you know, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. So at this point, when this woman is suddenly at a place of, yes, I want this. You know, she's open to this in his life. Suddenly, Christ turns the conversation and starts talking to her about sin. Jesus directs her attention to her most evident sin and that was her adultery. And he does it in a way to not attack her, but as a matter of truth. And you say, well, how do you know that? Well, because of the way she received it. You don't, you don't see her become defensive. You know, you don't see her, you know, immediately attacking and, and spewing, well, what about, you know, I'm sure you've done things and all that. No, she receives it and she listens and I want to tell you here, this, this sin of adultery, and she's living with a man, this wasn't her only sin, but this was her most evident sin. And Christ knew it. And Christ knew her heart. So what Christ is trying to do here is, is just try to get directly to the point. It wasn't because adultery was any worse than any other sin that she had in her life of anger or greed or jealousy or lust or slander or gossip. It wasn't that those sin, that sin was any worse before God than any of these other sins. But the point of bringing it up is to not shame her, but the point was to get her to see her need, her need for forgiveness. 
before God, her adultery separated her from God just as much as your gossip or my lying or your anger or, you know, my greed, whatever it might be. And folks, there may be many different reasons that a person will come to open up their heart to hear the gospel. People, a lot of times, they'll go through great pain in their life, and that'll open up the door. They may be suffering. They might be in despair, and, and that opens up the door to talk to somebody about Christ. A lot of people, you know, they lose a job, or they're, they're having struggles in their marriage, or some failure in their life. Maybe, just, maybe on the positive, they observe the joy and the peace in another person, and, and that's an avenue where they begin to open up their heart. There are many avenues that Christ uses to get people's attention, but there is only one true gospel. There is only one answer. There are many reasons that a person is ready to hear, but forgiveness of sin is a non-negotiable in salvation. And without that, salvation does not take place. I'll tell you, my skin crawls when I hear a speaker you know, at a big conference or whatever, he, he gives an invitation and he does not talk about sin. He doesn't talk about forgiveness of the heart. And he gets to the end of it. You know, and he asks people to raise the hands. If you want to give your heart to Jesus and have him save your marriage, heal your marriage, you know, give your heart to Jesus and people raise their hand. Or if, if you want Jesus to heal your hurt, if you want him to heal your health, Folks, you might as well say if you have the color blue on. Because if you don't deal with sin, salvation doesn't occur. A relationship doesn't occur. If you only talk about things like heaven and eternity and, and paradise, you know, and someone says, I want that, that's not salvation. Who wouldn't want that? I mean, verse 13 and 14, you know, Jesus says to this woman, everyone who drinks of this water will never thirst again. Or excuse me, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Who wouldn't want that? But that's not salvation. That's not forgiveness of sin. That's not atonement. That's not redemption. And that is why Jesus then turns the conversation to sin. It's not enough to stop at talking about all the, the positives of being saved. You know, we need to talk about sin. Sin is the issue. That's why listening and genuinely caring about a person, asking questions, they're so important for us to help us to get and open up those doors to get to the depth and the heart in a person's life. Those things take down all the walls of judgmentalism and, and it expresses a genuine care. I mean, it, it took, what, about two or three minutes for me to, to read this. I imagine this encounter took a little bit longer. And I'm not even sure every single word that was said is included here. But Christ struck up a conversation with this woman. He indebted her to him by asking her to do him a favor. You know, he begins to talk to her and, and, and whet her appetite. And then he begins to talk to her about sin and who he is, the Messiah, the Savior. You know, you know that, that's the, the whole thing of what this God space is all about. Being sensitive to how God is, is working around you, listening to how God is working, caring, genuinely caring. 
and taking those steps that God, you know, puts in front of you, stepping through each and every one in his timing. That's why learning and listening to God is so important. Again, what it said in Isaiah 28, verse 6, it says, it says there a spirit of just, excuse me, that's the wrong verse here. He talks there, that's where he talks about, for God instructs and teaches him properly. God instructs and teaches him properly. God wants to be part of that process of telling other people about Christ. So you need to listen to him. Let him instruct you. He knows the soul of the life you're talking to. He knows when they're ready to receive the truth. And folks, even if they don't receive the truth at this moment, at that moment, when you talk to them and you open up and you tell them about Christ and forgiveness of sin, even if they don't, Accept the Lord. Remember, that's not our job. Our job is to plant that seed. And who knows what God is going to do with it. But we need to get to that place. That seed is forgiveness of our sin. Now I want to go back, as I close here, I want to go back to the very reason that God had the, John pen these words. Remember what it said in verse 30 and 31 of John chapter 20. So there are many other signs that Jesus performed in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That Jesus is the Christ. It means the Savior. Jesus is the Savior. I want us for just a moment, I want us to turn our attention inwardly. We've been talking, you know, kind of outwardly about this woman and Christ and observing what he's doing. I want you to look into your heart here today, right now. Search your heart. Have you come to realize that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Savior, he is the Messiah, and that only through him can you can have forgiveness and eternal life? Have you come to realize that? When Christ spoke to the Samaritan woman, he said, you need to ask and it will be given. Have you done that? Asking is a purposeful decision. It's not about going to church. It's not about doing the right things. It's not about having the right lifestyle. It's about being broken and humble before our God because of our sin and knowing that I cannot stand in his presence in eternity. In the filthy rags, my good deeds are not going to outweigh them. Nothing but Christ's death on the cross can take away my sin or your sin. It's coming to that place and making that purposeful decision to ask. To ask. It doesn't just happen by being here. You must willfully ask Christ to forgive you. And he says it will be given to you. He talks about it being a free gift, the gift of salvation. Folks, you know this is true. A gift is only free to the one receiving it. The person giving the gift has to pay for it. And Christ paid for that gift that he wants to give you. He paid with his life. He gave. He, he suffered. He died for you because he loves you and he cares for you. And he wants to give you this. He paid the price. He paid the debt for your sin. The gift is to give you forgiveness but we need to ask. Now if you would, I would ask you if you would just bow your heads. I want to give you guys a chance right now, just in your quietness, to search your hearts. 
and bow your heads and just think. I mean, again, I, you know, my, one of my greatest fears is being a pastor is, is, you know, that group that could be in a church that, that are very good people doing very good things, but in the end, God says, depart from me, I never knew you. And so that's why I challenge you to search your heart today, to search your heart right now. Have you asked personally, not just agreed with it, but have you asked Christ to forgive your sins? If you would like to do that right now, I just, I, I'm going to pray for you, but you know, if you just raise your hand so I can pray for you. You know, say, yes, I want to ask. Yes, I want to receive. If not, now, after the service, at some point, you have to get to that place to ask. Search your heart right now. Take a moment of quiet, silent prayer, and then let me pray for you. Father, it scares me to death when I think that eternity is forever, forever. There is no changing eternity. Once there, it is set, the course is set for our lives. And right now, here today, you give us that choice of where we're going to spend that eternity. And it's all determined on our sins to be forgiven by your son or not, of asking you. So God, just continue, keep working in our hearts. Lord, if there is anyone here right now today that needs you, you know, bust through all their religiosity, Father, and, and just stir that within, that, that hunger, that need that they have. And right now, as they cry out to you and say, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Father, I come before you broken. I come before you in need. I come before you empty-handed, Lord, because I have nothing, Father, to redeem myself before you. But I ask you, through your son Jesus Christ and his shed blood, to forgive me. I accept what he has done on the cross to pay the debt for my sin, past, present, and future. I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as the Lord of my life. Father, I thank you for every heart and soul that has done that, whether it's 50 years ago or five seconds ago. God, each one is precious in your arms. In your sight, Lord, thank you. And just help us remember this throughout the week, Father, who we are in Christ. If we bear your name, Father, regardless of what's going on around us, remind us, Father, that we stand in victory in your Son. And help us to be those mouthpieces, those hands to serve, the mouth to speak and tell other people that gospel truth. 
The world needs to hear this message, Lord. And if not through us, then who? Challenge us, Lord, with that. In thy son's name we pray. Amen.